The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts. Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In this episode, and by God's grace episodes to follow, we continue to look at various apparent supposed Bible contradictions presented by atheists, skeptics, and humanists. We will examine them against what the Bible says in context according to proper exegesis, using the languages in question, correct grammar, the culture of the day, and most importantly, the prism of spiritual discernment given by God to those who truly desire to understand his revelation of himself and his relationship to man. As a prelude to answering any apparent Bible contradictions, if you as a listener have not done so already, listening to the introductory episode regarding questions about contradictions will be an indispensable prologue to fully understanding, or more importantly, answering any question or apparent contradiction which exists. Therefore, I will have to rely from this point forward on the listener to faithfully adopt the biblical posture of the Berean Bible student 
who is willing and able to do their own respective homework in order to avoid the pitfalls inherent from failing to do so. With this in mind, let us consider addressing the following questions about apparent Bible contradictions put forward by Mr. Ash. For our next randomly selected question, Mr. Ash has what amounts to a double question and contradiction. The first part of the question is, is God omnipotent or limited? The second part of the question is, did God drive out the Canaanites from the mountains or not? Mr. Ash constructs this apparent contradiction based on the following verses. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 27, quote, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Unquote. Joshua chapter 17 verse 18, quote, But the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong, unquote. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, quote, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible, unquote. Mr. Ash then compares the above to the following. Judges chapter 1, verse 19, Quote, so the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. Unquote. Here, Mr. Ash uses incorrect translation along with a basic inattention to detail in order to construct the above supposed contradiction. In the first place, Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27, which says, quote, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Unquote, declares that God has the ability and power to do anything. At the same time, we cannot take this verse by itself. We must look at the totality of Scripture in context to understand the revelation that because God is perfect in all of his attributes, he is always going to do what is according to his perfect sovereign will, according to all of his perfect attributes. So as was pointed out in the episode, The Problem of Evil, sometimes, for example, God may permit his people to fall and skin their knee, which may seem evil or that God has let us down. But God knows and intends that falling and skinning one's knee is the mechanism which prevents us from continuing forward too quickly and being in a position thereby to get hit by a drunk driver. Now in the case of Joshua, chapter 17, verse 18, which says, quote, But the mountain country shall be yours, although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong, unquote. It must be emphasized that the only area being ostensibly promised to Joshua is the, 
quote, mountain country, unquote, of the Canaanites. When we come to Judges chapter 1, verse 19, which says, quote, So the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron, unquote. We see that as promised, the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the Canaanite mountaineers successfully. As we continue reading verse 19, we encounter an incorrect translation which says, quote, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland, unquote. In some translations, the original is translated, quote, they were not able to drive out the inhabitants of the lowland, unquote. Both translations are incorrect. The original text should be translated, quote, and Jehovah was with Judah, and he occupied the mountains, but he did not dispossess the inhabitants of the valley, for they had chariots of iron, unquote. So, first of all, there is no letdown or inability on God's part, because God delivered what he promised, i.e. the mountain country of the Canaanites. The words, quote, could, unquote, and or, quote, able, unquote, are words inserted by well-meaning translators and are not there in the original text. Since there was no promise regarding the lowland by God in this case, there is no reflection on God's omnipotence. Next, Mr. Ash assumes that the comment in the text reading, quote, for they had chariots of iron, unquote, is an explanation which reflects back on God's omnipotence, or rather his lack thereof. However, one could just as easily make the conclusion that it was Judah's lack of faith in God and God's omnipotence which led them to refrain from dispossessing the lowland Canaanites because Judah was intimidated by the chariots of iron. Since both Israel and or Judah had a prolific history of lack of faith and disobedience and idol worship, we see repeatedly that God punished both on this basis and delivered Israel and or Judah into defeat and captivity to their enemies as a consequence. This being the case, we have an infinitely better history to make the case that it was Judah's issues which caused their inability or unwillingness to dispossess the lowland Canaanites than we do God's inability Finally, we have Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, quote, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible, unquote. This verse is consistent with the truth that mankind is finite and limited in many aspects, while God is infinite and omnipotent. At the same time, it should be understood that if and when man sees things which may appear to be evil, failure, or setback, that those events are as a result of man's sin, separation, and rebellion. 
while ultimately they are still within the sovereign control of God to accomplish his overall perfect will and purposes. In the end, when we use the proper translation of language, context, and attention to detail, we see that, once again, there is no contradiction, nor is there any basis to undermine God's omnipotence. For Mr. Ash's next apparent contradiction, Mr. Ash asks, Did Solomon have 4,000 or 40,000 stalls? In order to arrive at this contradiction, Mr. Ash reads the following verses. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 27, quote, And Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots, and 12,000 horsemen, unquote. Second Chronicles chapter 9, verse 25, quote, And Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots, and 12,000 horsemen whom he bestowed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem, unquote. In the case of this apparent contradiction, there are several possible explanations which we may consider. Number one, scribal error. In this case, the variance boils down to the difference between the Hebrew characters for four and forty. With 2 Chronicles, we find five Hebrew characters, which mean four. In 1 Kings, we have six characters, which mean 40. In both passages, four of the characters are exactly the same. In 1 Kings, we have the addition of a character which looks like an apostrophe. Likewise, in Kings and Chronicles, both share characters which are almost identical. The difference being that in Kings, the character looks similar to an English uppercase letter D, whereas in Chronicles, the character looks similar to the English lowercase letter N. As a result, we can see that the two words could easily be confused or that a scribe could make a mistake given the subtle differences. Additionally, we must allow for the reality of wear and tear to the parchment scrolls over time, which could cause the appearances of these characters to be degraded, damaged, or lost over time. For more information on the problems inherent to this scribal process, I would direct the listener to the introductory episode of Questions About Contradictions. 2. Difference in Time Essentially, Mr. Ash can only assume the two verses are talking about the status of King Solomon's stalls at the same point in time. It is possible to also assume that the two verses describe the status of King Solomon's stalls at two different points in his reign. We know that King Solomon reigned 40 years, so 1 Kings could be an accounting of his stalls towards the beginning, while 2 Chronicles could be toward the end of Solomon's reign, and perhaps the amount of horses and necessary stalls were reduced.
3. Parsing Verses If you read carefully each verse quoted, they are different in describing what is being counted. 1 Kings chapter 4 verse 27 counts, quote, stalls of horses for his chariots, unquote. Whilst, at the same time, 2 Chronicles chapter 9 verse 25 counts, quote, stalls for horses and chariots, unquote. So, in essence, 1 Kings chapter 4 26 talks about the number of horses for his chariots, while 2 Chronicles talks about the number of chariots. King Solomon simply had 10 horses per chariot. According to Webster's 1827 dictionary, the word, quote, stall, unquote, can be for one horse, or it can be a stable of 10 horses. Even if we accept the worst-case scenario of our options above, we have a scribal error in the translation for one of the verses. Thus, if you like, we have a human scribal error copying God's original word, not a contradiction regarding God's original word. For our next question, an apparent contradiction, Mr. Ash asks, Can we trust Jesus or not? In order to arrive at this apparent contradiction, Mr. Ash compares the following verses. John chapter 5, verse 31, quote, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true, unquote. John chapter 8, verse 14, quote, Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came and whither I go. But ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go, unquote. From this, Mr. Ash concludes that in one instance, there is a humanistic Jesus who uses circular reasoning as the basis for his credibility, and another Jesus who recognizes the folly of using humanistic circular reasoning as the basis for his credibility. Further, Mr. Ash sees a contradiction since the two verses are mutually contradictory. However, in reality, as in so many cases, Mr. Ash's contradictory outcome is based upon his failure to understand that not every translation necessarily represents the most accurate rendering of what the original verse says according to a proper culture, language, grammar, syntax, and context. Additionally, using proper discernment regarding what any given verse is discussing is vital. So, let's take a closer look at these two verses and apply the proper biblical filters. First of all, we must look at the cultural context of Jesus' day in which both statements are made. During Jesus' day, the legal customs and case law, if you will, for the Jews, the Greeks, and the Romans required that the testimony of no less than two people were required in order to be admissible in court. 
the testimony of one person would be insufficient as testimony. So, as we look at the context of the verses leading up to John chapter 8, verse 14, we see that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and proclaiming himself as the, quote, light of the world, unquote. In John chapter 8, verse 13, the Pharisees, being the legal experts that they were, predictably respond to Jesus' testimony with the legal objection, quote, Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true, unquote. To this, Jesus responds in John chapter 8, verse 14, saying, quote, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going, unquote. Mr. Ash, then being selective in his reading, stops here so that he can establish his out-of-context verse selection to build his case that Jesus is comfortable with circular reasoning and that he is also contradicting himself with what he said in John chapter 5, verse 31. However, if we continue reading from John chapter 8, verse 14, we get the entire context which sets a different record. Let's continue with John chapter 8, verse 14 through 18. Quote, Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet, if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me." Unquote. So here in the verses given by John, Mr. Ash shares the same lack of discernment as the Pharisees. Both fail to understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Both fail to understand that God is triune. We have God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, blessed God, three in one. Thus, Jesus recognizes that if he were only merely man, then his singular testimony as a mere man would be inadmissible. At the same time, Jesus is saying that he is not alone. He is not simply a mere man. He and the Father are one, and they testify in harmony as one but qualify under the law as the testimony of two, and thus Jesus' testimony about himself is legally valid. Now, as we approach John chapter 5, verse 31, it is necessary to read verse 32 in order to have a complete understanding of verse 31. 
if we read both together, we see that the correct contextual translational rendering of these two verses should rightly be as follows. John chapter 5, verse 31, quote, If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true, unquote. John chapter 5, verse 32, following, quote, there is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true, unquote. So both verse 32, as well as the original language in verse 31, clearly demonstrate that the word, quote, alone, unquote, should appear in verse 31. This is also supported by the legal constraints of the Jewish culture in which Jesus lived, as well as the context of what the Pharisees were saying in John 8. Thus, once again, we see that there is no contradiction because in both cases, Jesus is only saying that his statements and his proclamations about himself would only be inadmissible if, he were alone, or had no other witnesses. But the fact was and is that Jesus is not alone, as he declares, but has the witness of God the Father, as well as God the Holy Spirit. Consequently, we have assurance that on this basis we can fully trust Jesus as the light of the world, as well as anything else. With the next question in contradiction, Mr. Ash asks, Did God create men and women equal? For this supposed contradiction, Mr. Ash looks to two basic things in order to validate his contradiction. The first is a supposed contradiction of verses. In this case, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, quote, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, unquote. And Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, quote, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him, unquote. Also, Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, quote, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Unquote. The second thing Mr. Ash uses to support a contradiction in this area is how Israel and those in the Bible historically treated women. Because sometimes men in the Bible treated women with inequality, this mindset and behavior then serves as proof that God and or the Bible support said inequality. With regard to the two verses quoted in Genesis, I will have to assume what Mr. Ash is taking exception to since it has not been made clear. I believe that with regard to Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 that Mr. Ash is upset with the word, quote, help, unquote. This is probably because the English word help can have the negative connotation of an employee or someone who is subservient to their employer. However, 
in context, the original language would be better suited using the English word, quote, ally, unquote. The fact is that Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 tells us that God created Eve, i.e. the woman, from a rib taken from Adam. The rib is significant in that it reveals that Eve is to be equal to Adam. They were intended to have a side-by-side equality in God's image. My guess is that Mr. Ash dislikes Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, because it is said that Eve, i.e. the woman, was taken out of Adam, which suggests inferiority and superiority between the two. However, strictly speaking, Eve was in Adam when Adam was created. Thus, the two were one. God then removes Eve from Adam as an ally for one another and brings the two together to be united, i.e. one flesh, in the covenant and relationship of marriage. So at every stage, the two are equal and united in the purpose of fellowshipping, worshiping, and glorifying God. For more information and greater detail on the various implications of marriage, I would direct those interested to the episode entitled, What God Joins Together. Lastly, Mr. Ash loves to point out the oft-repeated incidents and stories within the Bible where women are being treated in sometimes admittedly horrible ways. From these, as stated, we are told that these examples demonstrate that God and or the Bible support or approve of women's inequality. However, as is so often the case, Mr. Ash must be reminded that the events detailed in Genesis chapter 3 tell the story of how man and woman brought upon all mankind the curse of sin due to their choice to disobey God and to do what was right in their own eyes. Consequently, it must be stressed that everything that happens in the world post-Genesis 3 is a result of the effects of sin on men and women. We must also remember that the Bible is oftentimes simply historical narrative where various writers memorialized what happened. The fact that things happened are just that. They happened. But simply because they happened, are recorded, or it was necessary for God to work with flawed people to work out his plan of redemption throughout human history is not an indication that God designed or approved those particular aspects of human history. God's ultimate perfect will and design for those who are redeemed is best summarized by Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Quote, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Unquote. So, yes, God created men and women equal in nature, being, character, and worth. At the same time, God created men and women with differences in role and function. 
However, these differences in role and function at no time grant or imply either superiority or inferiority. Whatever differences there are, are there by design and are intended to complement one another and complete us within the body of Christ as well as in God's creation ordinance of marriage. Thus, once again, the only contradiction to be found is between mankind who is separated from God by our fallen nature and God who was and is fully perfect in all of his attributes. Apart from God, mankind's nature, both men and women, is to rebel and do evil. This would include the mistreatment of men and women against one another. Having been reconciled to God in Christ, the more we are sanctified by Christ, the more his nature will empower us to reconciliation with one another. In all, to date, in this series, we have examined and answered 29 questions regarding Bible contradictions from Mr. Ash. In each case, these are serious questions posed by various individuals who hold themselves out to be scholars, critical thinkers, intellectuals, and the like who collectively fall under the pseudonym of Mr. Ash. These and others are questions which individually and collectively serve as the basis by which we are intended to come to the conclusion that the Bible is not God's word, but rather a collection of myths and fables only to be believed by the simple-minded and the gullible. However, in truth, these 29 and a myriad remaining others are nothing more than apparent contradictions which exist and remain largely, if not exclusively, due in fact to Mr. Ash's inability or unwillingness to do his research, coupled with his unwillingness to open his mind and heart to God and his word. This concludes this episode. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Trust in